the number of people that have really been moved by Steve Jobs' uh, early, uh, uh, early death, as we would say early, uh, I got a call from Jonathan, North Carolina, and he, uh, the other day, and he just said, Dad, this has really impacted my generation. I mean, we're all connected, and it's all because of his visionary and his work at Apple and, uh, and all that. And it's just, he said, I don't know of another CEO in the last hundred years or so uh, whose death had brought such worldwide attention. And then as we mused on that, we said, uh, you know, maybe even it's greater attention that if uh, an American president in office would be killed, which would be a terrible thing, but uh, uh, particularly for Americans, but Steve Jobs is known with his app all around the world, millions and millions and millions of people, millions of people. I, I, I hope that at the end he trusted Christ the Lord as Savior. I read uh, and was disheartened to see that he was a Buddhist, in the early 70s, and my mind instantly went back, and I, I thought, I wondered how influenced he was by the Beatles when they went to India, and they did all that uh, Buddhism in their music and all that, and I thought, like, hmm, but God knows those that are his, and uh, it shows, really, isn't it, that uh, death is a great equalizer. Did you see that in some of the clips? They showed the news. He, Steve Jobs spoke a few years ago at Stanford commencement, and I think it was 04, and uh, he was saying, and I thought I was reading through his lips the book of Ecclesiastes, because he was speaking to Stanford graduates and saying how his cancer, uh, pancreatic cancer, was a great gift for him. And of course, those kids, most of them are 22, 21, 23, 24, you know, listening to him, probably viewed him as an icon, right, or more saying cancer was a great gift, and for this reason. When you live with the reality that death is certain and it may be very close, it helps you choose most wisely how you're going to live today. It's a great gift. And if you're, if you're not doing what you want to be doing, if you're not doing what you ought to be doing, then you better get doing because time is just about up. I, I thought it was a fantastic commencement address, one of the best I've heard in a long, long time, and they're at Stanford University. Perhaps you saw the, they put on several clips of that. And uh, it, it does, it comes right from uh, Psalm 90, right from the book of Ecclesiastes. You know that we're to live, we're to number our days. Because it's going, going, and almost gone. Life is a vapor. And uh, it's a wise man or woman who lives in light of that. And so, uh, and so we note that. Second thing, did, were any of you able to see that movie, uh, Courageous? That, how many saw that? Raise your hand. I really recommend that. That is especially for men with uh, uh, raising uh, their, their boys, their family, uh, and things that are serious and true. And I mean, you, you see that, you've got to choke back the tears. It's better than, my opinion, better than the, what was the former one? Yeah, I thought it was better than that. And that was great. So uh, I, I don't get a dollar for every one of you that go, but uh, uh, I do recommend, you know, when they show uh, Christian films like that, I really recommend that you, you, uh, you see that and support that. Uh, and maybe they'll produce even, even more. Take, take folks with you with that. I mean, it, it's, it really is, it's right out there, the, the message of Christ. And the reality of that in the give and take in marriage, life and death and all that. It's called life, right?
That's the last time I noticed it was. So I encourage you on that. All right. Uh, we want to look at a praise psalm today. Um, and let everyone praise the Lord. T- take your Bible, look at Psalm 33. Psalm 33. Now, I, I want to, uh, you, you know, the order that uh, the Psalms appear in our Bible is, uh, is probably not inspired because uh, they took the, the Psalms that were written, uh, many of them by David and sons of Korah, and, and Solomon wrote a couple. And, uh, and uh, they are the inspired text, and the original we have faithful, reliable copies of that. And then as, uh, as, as they were indicated, uh, these 150 psalms, then the collectors put them together in the Hebrew hymn book called the Psalms. And uh, I think there's a reason why Psalm 32 and 33 are juxtaposed like they are. Psalm 32 is written by David. It's one of the great confessional psalms. Uh, he has uh, sinned with Bathsheba. God brought him to the end a year later. Uh, the baby dies. He repents in sackcloth and ashes. There's a price to be paid as the decline of his rule begins at that point. You can mark his time forward and backward by his sin with Bathsheba. But this is one of the two confessional psalms, Psalm 32, that is, that comes out of that broken period of restoration. And don't we all need that? How many times in my life have, uh, has God uh, showed me falling short and needing to take the Word of God and, and, uh, and God just peels back the layers and shows maybe my motives aren't right or my actions are not right and I work my way through the psalm, sometimes with tears, sometimes not, and God brings about renewal in my life. Renewal is so important in a Christian's life. We're saved forever, the price is paid forever, but it's like foot washing, we need to daily bathe. You know, we walk through a dirty, dusty world. Psalm 32 reflects David bathing and finding renewal, not being saved again. You're saved once and that's it forever, but finds cleansing. Like we wash and bathe daily, like Christians, right? I hope you do that. Uh, Otherwise it gets a little bit gamey, right? You don't want to do that. And that's why David began, and I, I wanted to show the two and then unfold 33. But look at 32, this confessional psalm, and these psalms are back-to-back, of course. David writes, Blessed, or oh, how happy is the man or woman whose transgression, that sin, is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. And David reflects then, because for a year he remained silent. Talk about the silent year of David. He committed sin with Bathsheba, and for a year he didn't deal with it. Wow, that's a long time. He says in verse 3, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Is that arthritis? Maybe. You know, our our lives and our decision take a toll on us. Uh, Through my groaning all the day long. For day and night, David says of the Lord, your hand was heavy upon me. That's conviction, right? Have you been there? I have. Conviction. And my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I then, here's confession, verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover over my iniquity. We're good at that, covering over, hiding in the trees like our first parents. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you, there it is, forgave. Isn't that great? The iniquity of my sin. Iniquity is uncleanliness. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Let me give you a hint. There's a time when God may not be found. You figure that one out. 
Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You, David says of the Lord, you, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me in trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. And now he's ready to teach others. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I'll counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Don't be like a dumb animal. You know, we can be that way. I'm stubborn, that's it, I'm not doing it. Don't be like that. Many, now look at verse 10, I underline this because this is true in large ways and small ways in your life and mine, you do well to teach this to your children because whether they embrace it or not, they will live out the reality and so will you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. Many are the tears, the brokenness, the loss, the suffering, the anguish of the wicked, of, 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 of when we sin. And we say, I don't care what you want, God, I'm going to go and do what I want anyway. We'll go, okay, go ahead. And then we suffer, don't we? What a man sows, he reaps. And it tears a lot of times. But the steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. The Lord surrounds the one who is trusting in the Lord and walking with. Verse 11, finally, be glad in the Lord now. Rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Now, this is the reason I'm to this point, because Psalm 32 leads right into Psalm 33. Because Psalm 33, the whole psalm is the rejoicing and the praising of one who's been forgiven. Isn't that great? He, he ends up saying, be glad in the Lord, rejoice, shout for joy. Now look at 33.1. Shout for joy. He picks up the same theme, and he gushes forth with praise to the Lord. So let's look at 33. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. <clears throat> praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with a lyre. That's not someone who fibs. Like an ancient guitar, it was a string, an instrument. Make melody to him with a harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. Here's the reason. When you see the word for, he's going to explain. For the word of the Lord is upright. And all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the water of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Why? For, for he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation or people whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his inheritance. The Lord looks down from heaven and he sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashioned the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. By his great might it cannot rescue. 
Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. And finally, he concludes with the last few verses, Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help, our shield. For our heart is glad in him, because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Well, the psalmist uh, writes in Psalm 33 what I call, Let everyone, let everyone praise the Lord. You know, the Bible is crystal clear in its teaching. It's not a hidden fact that you've got to mine and mine and finally discover like a piece of gold down deep into the earth. No, it's from cover to cover in its teaching that God has made uh, us for himself. Did you know that? You're not made for yourself. You know, be all that you can be, certainly true, but under God and for God. You're not made for yourself. We live in a very selfish day. You're not made for others, ultimately and primarily, although that touches us. We, we live for the Lord, love the Lord as we touch others and bless them. But ultimately and finally, God has made you and I for himself. And that is the clear teaching of Scripture. And far from being a cosmic accident, we reject totally uh, evolutionary origins of man, that man came from pond scum and all that ridiculous, idiotic type of reasoning. That man in rejecting God walks around, it's like, Little signs on every single thing in the entire world, made by God, made by God. And men and women in their blindness and their rebellion say, what God, what God? I don't see God, no God. And God says, whoa, not only are you dead, but you're also blind. You love your sin and you reject me. You want to go out and do whatever you want to do. And in that, you are rejecting the very purpose for which I made you. I made you for me. And when you look at the scriptures, men and women are made in the glorious image of God. Men and women, may, he made them male and female, Genesis tells us. And they're made in the Imago Dei, the image of God, as the capstone of all creation. Did you know that? Uh, we, we live in a world that's lost their way, have they not? Don't know the significance of man at all. B.F. Skinner wrote, beyond freedom and dignity. You've got to get, get past this idea that there's something inherently dignified about men and women. There isn't. You're just a cosmic accident. And that's the cultural foundation which we live in. That's why people are stumbling about trying to find where's the meaning in life? Where's the rhyme and reason? And people can't live because of this uh, made in the image of God. We're personal. We're rational. We're emotional, we can plan, we can uh, make true choices under limited scope. We can say, I'm going to have Wheaties, not Cocoa Puffs today. I'm going to put the white socks on, not the blue. I'm going to go right instead of left. We can make true choices. We're not programmed like that. And when stuff happens in a fallen world, man, even in his rebellion from God, says there's got to be a reason. Now, why does he say that? He's completely inconsistent with everything that he embraces and where he came from. You came from, from nowhere, you shouldn't be here, and you have no purpose. But when stuff happens, it goes like, there's got to be a reason for that. Because God is so stamped onto our very soul, this likeness to God. And God is rational and reasonable. You know, it's the Christian world in which modern science came. 
It didn't come out of the mysticism of the Orient. They couldn't distinguish between anything. It's all one of the same. But the Christian mindset, knowing the Bible, rightfully so, said God is there. He's really there. He's really spoken. He's really brilliant. He's really rational. And God has created an object called the creation. And since God is knowable in our limited understanding of him, the world is knowable. There's certain ways in which it operates, and we can discover those things. Now, Ron told me the other week, and you were the first one to give me the heads up on that, and I've been reading about that, that this whole thing on the uh, Einstein's theory of relativity may be called into question. As man has, and women, and that study such things in the world of physics, uh, trying to understand the world that is, that God made, and man is made to study that, men and women, as the capstone of God's creation. And this whole thing uh, with uh, the... Uh, the, the matter, they found matter now that travels faster than the speed of light. What? We? Yes, uh, neutrinos. And uh, uh, Ron, you were the first one that saw that. And then I saw the papers flooded with it this, uh, this past week. And uh, it's uh, fantastic because, and Mark, you were a physics major, I know. Uh, the whole physics world was based on two foundations, quantum mechanics and in Einstein's relativity, and if that one is wrong, I mean, everyone's Einstein's right, he's a genius and all that, and that kind of thing, you know, you're stupid if you disagree, but uh, that's, the, that's, the, that's the way the culture is, the peer pressure is so enormous. But the, what that means is, if there are particles, these neutrinos, that are traveling faster than the speed of light, and they're going through you all the time, that as they exceed the speed of light, as I understand, some of you guys understand that far better than I do, time starts to go backwards. Now think about that one this afternoon. Some of your football teams may be losing, and you may wish that time went backwards. We'd like to do a redo on that. Well, it may actually be possible now. I don't know. I walked away saying, well, maybe when you think about the dimensions of what is, all these dimensions that we usually think space, time, these kind of things, and that's God, of course. He's eternal and he's everywhere present. And, uh, and yet he's present in the past, future, and, pre and, and uh, future all at the same time. And we may be able to see the energy of which God has created this universe. It blows my mind when we begin to think about such things. I am that I am. Before Abraham was, I am, Jesus said in John 8, 58. What's that mean? The eternal present tense? How can that be? Wow. And God has uh, created all this, and the capstone is, is uh, he puts men and women in his world as the very height of it, creates all the stars. And, you know, I read recently that now they really believe. Now, think about this one. There are more stars. I can't number them all. They can't, and they're all different. God has named them. That's what it means by that. Their characteristics are all different. There are more stars, they're saying now, than there are grains of sand in the entire world. Now, have you ever gone to Jersey Shore and started counting the grains of sand? There's one, two, three. I don't think you're going to be ready by dinner to finish the beach there at Ocean City or wherever it is. No, wait a minute. I'm up to 301. You're just getting started. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it blows your mind. And, here, and, and, and so God 
makes all this, man discovers and learns about the wonder of God and the way that he usually operates the world, and it's fantastic. You know, your dog doesn't think like that. Your dog doesn't look on and say, oh, that's a beautiful harvest moon there tonight. He may howl at it. Some dogs do that. They howl in that. And your parakeet, you know, or your goldfish. But God made you different. And so I say that strongly and I emphasize that again because there's such a deluge of wrong thinking by design that wants to throw our Bible out. You know, the article on your sheet, the, article, the first article, the Westminster Confession of Faith, written by pastors in the early 1600, uh, put it this way, the chief purpose of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Isn't that great? One of the great things of a Christian is we get to walk hand in hand with God. We fellowship with Him. We fellowship with Him. John Piper changes it a little bit. And he said the chief end and purpose of man is what? Is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. Something like that, right? By enjoying Him forever. Do you enjoy God? You should. If you don't, maybe you're not saved. Maybe you don't know the Lord Jesus. You know, that could be the greatest thing that came out of here today. Is that, wait a minute, what, what is all this? I'm afraid of God. I don't enjoy it. You ought to enjoy the Lord. Walk with Him. He'll give you a song in your heart. That's what this is. This is a praise psalm. Well, we are made to love the Lord and to praise Him. He alone is worthy of all our praise. He's our created more. He's our Redeemer. He's redeemed us from our sin through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus. Songs of praise, words of thanksgiving... We're thanking Him, and deep gratitude in our heart, it, these things ought to fill our days. I mean that, really. We ought to be so thankful and just uh, issuing forth songs to the Lord, praise. You kind of walk around kind of speaking to the Lord all the time. People thought you're mumbling, they think you're out of your mind, but it's sort of, it's that's sort of the way of the Christian as we walked the path toward glory land, and we're going to get there sooner than we're all thinking, probably. And that's, that's the fellowship. That's the sweet beauty of the Christian life. Well, in this psalm, there are three, three stanzas of this song. A psalm is a song, you know, uh, calling us to sing forth praises to the Lord as we walk into the future. Now, the future is scary, isn't it? It is. Most people are terrified of it. I'm not getting out of bed today, you know. <laughs> tell me what day I'm going to die. If I could tell I'm not getting out of bed that day. You probably get hit with a meteorite while you're in bed. You know how that works. But uh, most people are like, uh, what about tomorrow? Everything's up to this point. We stand at the, at the shoreline with our toes in the water of the future. And we go like, what's going to happen next? And uh, we, always, we don't all often deal well with that, do we? We don't. We often, the fear can overtake us. Uh, some just pack it in with depression. They go like, that's it. And some don't, they just cram it out of their mind. They don't even want to think about it. They fill their life up with distractions, most Americans. They can't unplug, can't detach, can't have quiet, can't have quiet. I might have to think, oh, what's going to come next? God designed the Sabbath, you know, to be a day of reflection, day of celebration, day of reflection. Do you know, really, honestly, people don't want to stop the merry-go-round. Because then they have to really think about, where am I going anyway? That's why this Steve Jobs' death this week was a great intrusion into the busyness. It's almost, uh, it's, it's almost an intoxicating busyness. I'm busy all the time. How you doing? Busy. Good. Oh, great. great. Yeah, I know. That's the American way, right? Not this way everywhere. It isn't. 
I can't get off the merry-go-round because I'll think about where am I? Where am I going? God wants us to stop. Think about where you've been. Give thanks to the Lord. Plan the future. Rest. Rest. Isn't rest a great thing? That's, that's a wonderful thing. The, the Sabbath was given to, as a blessing to man. Man t- took it and said, well, okay, we're going to make a religion out of this thing. You know, 300 and some rules. Can't brush your teeth. Can't eat a, you know, a piece of pizza. Can't do this. Can't do that. Can't walk that far. Can't do that. And then, and then all kinds of exceptions around it. Isn't that the way we are? Because you know, the Lord cuts through. What are you crazy? What, what's the matter with it? It's a day of rest. To stop. Enjoy. I'm the Lord of the harvest. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. It actually points to me. I'm Lord Sabbath. I'm the, I'm, I'm the one that gives the ultimate rest. And so praise the Lord. And that's why we gather to do that, don't we? Uh, three stanzas of this song. And, and, and really, they're going to be a three-dimensional thing. He's going to call us in the first three verses to do something today, something we've already done, if you've praised the Lord and you sang. And then he's going to look back in the main body of, uh, of, the, of the song, and he's going to recount different things that God has done, and uh, he wants to remember those things, and he wants to thank the Lord for those things. And then he closes, and the whole tone of this thing changes, gets very somber, very quiet. It's a kind of a quiet, patient, trusting, waiting upon the Lord for the future. So verses 1, 2, and 3 is the present. Uh, here uh, he, uh, he commands us to worship the Lord in verses 1, 2, and 3. Shout for joy, shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Now none of us are righteous, but there's an imputed righteousness that is yours. God gives the righteousness to you by faith. It's a gift. You know, most churches don't loudly proclaim that if they proclaim it at all. It, the, the gift of righteousness is what makes you acceptable and allows you into heaven. Do you know that? I mean, you always get that if, if when you die and you're standing at the gates of heaven. And the Lord should ask you, why should I let you in heaven? It's kind of like, what's the, the secret password, right? Why should I let you in? And you know, the answer is, you shouldn't let me in. You shouldn't. But for the death of Christ, who died in my place, and I have received as a gift his righteousness, my sin in total was nailed to his cross and paid for. For without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. But because I'm in Jesus, that's the only reason. Now make sure you remember that. Make sure it's true in your life. Because that's going to happen. We all have an appointment. We all have an expiration date, all of us. I'll go down to the uh, to Corns to get some cream for our coffee, and Faith will say, look at the expiration date. I always look at the expiration date. So I do that. Everybody does that. I'm looking way in the back trying to get the one that's out there about three weeks, you know. You have an expiration date, but it's not on the bottom of your foot. Say, so like, I can't see it. Maybe it's there. We all have one. We don't know if it's this far or this far. The Lord's coming either way. And the reason God should let you into heaven is because of the finished work of Jesus. There I stand in his righteousness. And therefore you are righteous 
And then God begins to change us and makes us more like that in that lifelong process. So we're commanded today to worship the Lord. Shout for joy to the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with a lyre. Make melody to him with a harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. We are commanded. At the very least, hey, this teaches us that worship is not an optional activity for the saints. It's not optional. It's not ordering anchovies on your pizza. You want, you want peppers, sweet peppers? What about mushrooms? What about, yeah, I'll take this, that, that. It's not optional. It's not optional. Privately and publicly. It's a personal thing. It ought to be done every day in your life as you walk through life. And then as we gather together in small group and as a congregation, and uh, praise and worship of God should be our highest vocation. The, the best part of our day is we praise the Lord and thank Him. It, it ought to be. You were made for God. And you respond to that uh, directly and in a very tangible way by praising Him. And, and so on. Well, the opening uh, invocation in verse 1 to 3 has six imperatives that we, the righteous, are called upon to do. We're just going to note them. Spurgeon said, Praise is the clothing of the saints of heaven, and it's fitting that they should try them on here below. That's not bad. Try it on. Some of you are a little shy. Try it, try it on. Effervesce and radiate forth. Look at these six things. Uh, one, we're to shout joyfully to the Lord. Some of you, have, uh, if you shouted praise of the Lord, people would really worry about you. They're probably worried about you anyway. So you might as well just give them a reason to say, I just want to thank them. It's so beautiful. Haven't these days been nice? I mean, after all that rain, I was rechecking Genesis there, see if the Lord... <laughs> like, what is happening? You know, and then all these beautiful... Like, this is beautiful. beautiful. Lord, thank you for that. Faith and I were exchanging that back. Shout joyfully to the Lord. It's passion. It's intensity. And God made us that way. You know, I, I know we all have different degrees. Some of you are real passionate, but it's it's deep. It's deep. You know, I, you know, what, just notch it up a little bit more, and uh, with your passion and your intensity and your expression of of shouting to the Lord. Second, praise befits the upright. It's fitting. It fits. It should be like breathing. Breathing. It fits or befits the upright. Uh, it's like trying on, it's not like trying on when you're a kid. You tried on, I did once, tried on my father's suit, you know, and I put the suit on and the tie, the thing hung on me. It's like big. Remember that big movie? He ended up with, you know, it was like that. I tried that on. It, it's not like that. It fits. It fits all of you. Matters, no, 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 it doesn't matter what bodily size you are. It fit. It's fitting. It should be like breathing. Three, we are to make melody, music to him with a harp. Now, you should note, this is the first time in the Psalms that musical instruments are mentioned. First time uh, we come in the collection, Psalm 33, right here. You know, there are some churches that, that do not think that uh, musical instruments ought to be a part of worship. You know, they actually teach that. In uh, Indiana, there was a church near our church there, and uh, Church of Christ, and they, they would not allow any instruments uh, to accompany the congregation in singing. Not even the old pipe organ or organ or any of that. Uh, it was all human voice. Now I admit, I think the most beautiful musical instrument that God ever made was the human voice. And when, when you hear it uh, done well, <laughs> shall I, 
qualify it a little bit here. Uh, and, and it is so beautiful in its praise to the Lord. Beautiful. But the idea here is as if uh, he's calling all people everywhere to praise the Lord and to sing to him. Uh, it's as if um, God is so great in his greatness that all the human voices in all the world singing praise would not even be enough. More would be needed because God is so glorious. Let all the instruments radiate. It's like some huge orchestra in this huge choir. Can you see it? It's almost like heaven. Now, that, that's, now that's one of the things you don't think about much about heaven. But some of you have some great Walkman and sound and all that iTunes and, and all those digital things and you can't live without them and your music. Think about the glory of the music that we're going to hear in heaven. It is beautiful. Have you ever read any of the accounts of the saints that were near death and dying, and God gave them a glimpse? Can you hear it? Can you hear it? And I think God allows them to hear the glory of the music being sung in heaven to the praise of our Savior. And we're to, we're to engage in that even now as we do it privately, do you ever uh, do that when you say, well, my, my private time needs some new freshness? Take a, take a chorus book or a hymn book into you, shut the door, read your Bible, pray, and then sing a song. Open it up. Say, I can't remember the word. Sing a song to the Lord. There it is. Go down to the bookstore and buy a, a hymn book or a song book and sing to the Lord. Sing. You know, uh, it's a glorious thing to do. The heaven and the glory that we're going to experience will be beyond our wildest imagination. And I think the Lord doesn't let us hear too much of it now or we'd be like, eh, it's a tough day, I'm going to exit. You know, I, I really think so. If we saw the splendor of heaven and all that, we're going to be like, oh, why didn't I get here sooner? You know, really. And I say that at Christian funerals. I told Rob that, you know, we... We're certainly going to miss, and we do, loved ones that go on before us. But we, we, don't, we don't worry about them. They're in a far better place. If they're in Christ, we pray for each other. We're still here. That's, that's the reality of it. And don't, they wouldn't want to come back. I miss my mother. I miss my dad. I miss my brother. I miss, you know, and we do. But if you ask them, hey, you want to go back down there and be with Terry? No, 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 Lord, don't, no, no, Lord, please, no, no, don't make me do that. I feel bad for Lazarus. Yeah, I don't know if you ever thought about it. the poor guy had to, he had to die again. Think about it. What a great thing comes out, you know, unbind him, he stinketh. <laughs> Sounds like a guy coming out of the gym, you know. <laughs> no, he came back from death, then he had to die again. And, he, and I don't know if God obliterated his memory or what, because he had to live for that period of time on earth there in Bethany. But uh, the wonder of that. And four, we're to sing a new song. That is a, a new song. It means fresh. God's mercies are new every day. Uh, and we ought to look for that as we walk along. It's not the old song. There's a fresh awareness of God's grace and the journey of life. And uh, we, we ought to know that and embrace that. Let us not, uh, one man writes, let us not present old, worn-out praise, but put life and soul and heart into every song. Since we have new mercies every day, and see new beauties in the work and the work, the work and the word of our Lord. Spurgeon once said, uh, uh, he wrote, It is natural for great praise to express itself loudly. Men shout at the sight of their beloved king. Here, 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 they'll go. Here he is. How much so shall we not 
do so with uh, even our God. Well, we should sing a new song. Not the stale old ones. They ought to be fresh. Five, we are to give to the Lord our best, especially in praise. Play skillfully. We ought to do that in all of life. You know that? You ought to do your best. We're made for God's glory. God is glorified when whatever gifts and abilities he's given us, and we do them well, we do them to the glory of God. God is blessed with that. He's glorified with it. It doesn't matter if you have a desk job, an office job, you're in a classroom, you're out in the field, you're in the home, making a meal, changing, you know, one million diapers. doesn't matter. You do it to the glory of God. God is glorified in that. And we do it to our very best skillfully. And here it is, skillfully done music unto the Lord. God is honored by that and glorified and blesses the church. And finally, God loves it when our praise is loud. Like the teenager, I always say, turn that music down. Turn that music down. The teen says to dad, well, come on, mom, I'm just trying to be spiritual. God likes it loud. Loud. Turn it up. You know, 120 decibels or something. So, see, our worship and praise needs to be what? It needs to be fresh, new every day. It needs to be skilled, and it needs to be with fervor. Fervor means zest, lively. It ought to be from the heart. It ought to be that way. We're commanded. We're commanded. It's not optional. Worship. Worship. Well, that's the present. Then the, the reason we worship today is because of yesterday. And that's the second stanza. We praise the Lord by remembering all that He's done for us. Oftentimes we'll hit this theme. We should do it probably more than that. But the Thanksgiving week, we go like, ah, oh, the tendency of our hearts are to forget, you know? We forget. We, we, we do. We pray and pray and pray and pray. Oh, Lord, when will this come? It seems to take forever. And sometimes it's not quite what we were thinking. And then God has a way of working it out, whatever that is. And then we go down a few flips of the calendar and we forget. I loathe that in myself. I hate that, really. I'm crying out to God in tears. And then God finally answers. I get down the journey of the road another five miles, and, or so it seems. And it's like, what was that? Oh, yeah, what was that? Oh, I thought I was going to die. I thought this, I thought that. And God brings us through. And uh, we need to do whatever we need to do to remember. And that's a theme we hit typically around Thanksgiving time, but here it is in this praise song. Uh, it would be a great sin for us to re remain silent after having experienced God's care and His provision. It would be a gross sin to do that. I mean, I learned that early. Uh, I, had, I had a mother and dad who, uh, if, uh, if you receive something, uh, you better say thank you pretty quick. Or my mother at a tender age was right over on top of you. What do you say for that? Oh, 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 oh thank you, Mom. Thank you. It learned, I learned early that the world didn't revolve around me and that I had no entitlement. I don't deserve. In fact, I don't use that word because I learned early if I got what I deserve, I'd be in hell right now. You want what you deserve? No, I don't want what, no, no. I want, I want grace. <laughs> I learned that early in the give and take of a home. Okay? And we understand that, and we need to remember what God has done in our life. And in this psalm, the writer looks back and he praises God for his word and his works. And the two are ever unified. God's word and his works are utterly consistent. Ours are not, are they? We make promises, we make statements, and, but we can't always deliver, can we? Things change. I didn't see that coming. 
I didn't know I was going to have to work overtime. I didn't know this problem was going to... I didn't know it was going to rain. I didn't know, you know, this kind of thing, right? It happens. My father promised one day, <clears throat> boys, we're going to go fishing. We were all excited about it. And the day before we had gotten our gear ready, he, uh, he told us at dinner, I can't go. Well, we've been planning that for all summer. Go up to New York, up in the Adirondacks and all. Can't go. We got this big project. I got to work overtime. That's when he did his engineering work. And I can't, I can't take off today. My father meant well. He wanted to. He certainly did. He had, he had a responsibility. And, uh, but uh, his word and his, what he, his work, his father, he, it didn't happen. God's 100%. What he says, he will always do. Always. You can take it to the bank. Forget what E.F. Hunton says. God's 100%. 100%. You know what? If you're in Christ, God says you're saved forever. Isn't that great? You're saved. Why? He's saving you. It's also true, if you're not in Christ, you're lost. You're lost. There's only a heaven, only a hell. Jesus said it. Only he could do that. Only he knew for sure. He created. And heaven exceeds your wildest imagination. Also, the Bible says, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Instantly. And uh, eye has not seen in the wonder and the splendor of heaven. Wow. The reality of that. God's word and his word are forever united. Forever. Two examples the psalmist gives. Creation, number one. Number two is providence. Creation is an example of consistency between God's word and his word. In Genesis 1, and that's the focus here in verses 6 to 9, I underlined this in my Bible a long time ago. Verse 6, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and by the breath of his mouth all their hosts, the hosts are the stars, incidentally, he gathers the water of the sea as a heap, he puts the deeps in storehouses, let all the earth fear the Lord, let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him, for he spoke. He's going to say it again in case you missed it. He spoke, and it came to be. You see, the point he's making, who would not trust such a great God as our God? Look what he's done. He created everything. By speaking. I say a lot of things in the course of a day. I used to say a lot of things when my kids were younger. A lot of things that I said never got done. Hey, I, I'm, I'm, I'm the father here. You know, you kind of look at look me in the eye. I'm your father. <laughs> I had to pull rank. Cut the grass now. Oh, oh, oh you mean now? I, no, an hour ago. <laughs> but what God said when He speaks. You ever see that in the gospel? Any place? Look at the Lord Jesus on earth. Always that's the easiest way, most tangible way to see that. When, when the Lord heals somebody, cleanses the leper, how about all the lepers? Only one came back. Instantly. Speaks. A lot of times doesn't even speak. Sometimes touches, opens the eyes, raises the dead. Lazarus. I finally say Larry on that. Larry, come forth. That's it. There it is. The power of God. It is a power source we have no idea. God speaks 
And everything in the heavens and the earth and everything came into being. Man, blows my mind. It's right well it should. And in Genesis chapter 1, eight times, the text says, and God said. And God said, and God said, and God said, day one, God said, day two. The chronology of the creation week. It's fabulous. It was a creation by naked fiat. That means from nothing. God spoke and it was. Wonderful. Wow. Well, creation, he remembers that. The word and the work of God together. How about providence? That's God's governance. It's another example of the unbreakable link between God's word and his works. This providence is uh, God's mysterious ordering of all things according to a secret counsel. And isn't it mysterious? And don't at times we go like, Lord, what are you up to? I can't figure it. It's not what I would have done. You know, we do that. We try and understand providence. And, and we see in the Word the uh, different ones trying to understand. Paul says, I'm going to come visit you unless something happens. He's trying to understand if he can't. And if God won't allow it in his governance, God rules all things. It's not D.C. Don't worry about that. Some of you are overly worried about that. We need to pray and doubly pray for our political leaders. It's not the East River, the U.N. They don't run the show. Not the world court over in the Hague. It's not that. Don't worry about that. God's right on time. One man writes, man's purposes are blown to and fro, but the eternal purposes are firmer than the earth. Men come and go. Children follow their parents to the grave. The undisturbed mind of God moves on in unbroken serenity, producing ordained results with unerring certainty. God's never in a panic. <clears throat> Hard for us to think about that. We get behind time, things seem to be out of control. Oh, man, I didn't see that happening. You know, God never said that. You know, God never said, I didn't know. It all operates according to his incredible schedule and plan. The secret counsels of God. And in fact, your salvation in mind, Romans 8, 28 through 30, is an example of God's unfailing purpose for us. And we know that, don't we? Uh, 28, and we know that all things work together for the good to them that love God, to them that are called according to the purpose. And he goes on to talk about the chain of our salvation. And, and, and you're an example of that. And so when bad times come, we ought to rejoice because God is working and building and growing us into the people fit for heaven, people fit for him. And so we give thanks to him, even though it's mysterious. It is this mysterious ordering of all things, according to a secret counsel. Proverbs 19, 21 says, Many are the plans in the mind of men, but it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. You see, the Lord often vetoes the plots of men. Often does. Read the book of Esther. You'll see it dramatically. <laughs> Somebody thought someone was going to get hung on the gallows. And God has a way of doing it. In a book that is so behind the scene in his governance, God's name isn't even mentioned in that book. Rather amazing. The providence and governance of God. Will be one more example that the psalmist remembers calling him to praise God and to worship him, and that is God's special care of his people. In verses 12 through 19, that God cares for us and he protects his people, bringing us to the ends that he has foreordained for us. Verses 12 through 15, God watches over us, 
His eye is on those who fear him, verse 18. What a great comfort this is for us, isn't it? That his eye is upon us always. He goes with us through the valley, through all of it. His eye is upon us. What a comfort. We're never alone, no, no matter what befalls us. Never alone. Lo, I am with you always. Never alone. Isn't that neat? Loneliness is a thing that a lot of folks struggle with. But the reality for you, if you know Christ, is that you're never alone. He always walks with you and beside you all the way. Number two, he has given us his own protection. How about that? As we go through life, 16 and 17, he foils the plans of our enemies, and we all have enemies. I hate to tell you, there are people that don't like you. You're pleasant, you look good, you smell good today, I hope. But there are people that just don't like you. They, they hate you at work. They, would wanna, they want your job. They want this. They want that. They want, you know, that's the way it is in a sinful, fallen world. And yet, you're not standing out there yourself. You can't even protect yourself 24 hours from all risk and all dangers. But God protects his own. He foils the plans of our enemies. His power is greater than anything. We need to thank him for it. Oftentimes, we think of our our uh, God's protection and care of our families. And we think that we thank God for that. Pray for each one. Pray. It's like covering them in your prayers. We think of our jobs. We think of our health. And we say, thank you, Lord, for that. You know, the last infection I, I, I got didn't do me in. <laughs> it's amazing, our bodies, aren't they? I say that a lot. I mean, with the immune system, and a lot, a lot of times they go awry, right? A lot of these autoimmune diseases and things. But it's still the best thing going, you have to admit. I mean, I've said before, if you could put that into your automo automotive engineering where your car actually repaired itself after you played bumper car with it. Yeah, the bumper's not quite back yet, but it's uh, pretty well. I put a Band-Aid on it, you know? But our bodies do that. You know, you can take a good portion of your liver out and your liver actually will regenerate. Oh, that's amazing. And uh, the body, the way it, uh, all the time, you know, you have bacteria on you, we have the little spray bottles and all that. But all the time, Greg, my son-in-law, tells me, you, you, we're walking, you know, uh, germ uh, uh, jungles. And if you got babies, it's like Petri dishes. He says, <laughs> it's everywhere. And, uh, and God has made our bodies, and he protects us and cares for us. And we thank God for that. But have you ever thought about this? We ought to thank God for the things that he spares us from. A lot of these we don't think about much. But God spares us from possible accidents. You know, the ones that don't occur, you can't, you don't, they're not right in your mind, but the guy went by, you know, 30 seconds before you hit the intersection. Or your children. And the angels and how God does all that in his governance. He protects. Or how about the uh, sicknesses that you had? I, I, was a, I was a junior in high school and I was sick for like uh, 14 days in, in April. I, I had bad infection, my ears, everything else, my nodules in my neck. Like, what's going on? And nothing seemed to work. And I thought I was, you know, pretty shot. And went on for a young guy to be sick that long and feverish. And, uh, but God re recovered me from that. 
and I didn't, uh, didn't die. And, and not everyone that happens, you know. So, Lord, thank you for sicknesses you delivered me from. How about temptations? You know, he's promised never to allow us to be tempted above which we're able. But with that, he provides a way of escape. Lord knows we can't handle very much. There's such a magnet in our heart for sin. They're like, oh, they're just... No, they can't handle that one. We get over, you know, and God has a way of doing that, protecting, caring for us. We could go on in that, but we won't anymore. But he cares for us like a gentle shepherd. The Lord preserves us from death to famine, and it ought to invoke our praise and give thanks. And finally, he closes at the future, and we'll be done here, verses 20 to 20. The whole tone changes. Here it's not the loud, shouting praise of the opening, verses 1, 2, and 3 of today because of the past, the body of the letter, or of the song. But now his tiptoes are at the beach and his toes are in the water of the future. And he reminds us that we can move forward quietly trusting the Lord's help for tomorrow. And isn't that a good word? It's good for us as, as a church, you know, as we say, Lord, where are you leading us? You've given us this property you know, how, when and how and all that, you know, you're, you're in charge of all things. You know, it's scary. Hey, listen, life is scary, isn't it? What's the alternative? Well, I know heaven, but God wants us to be here for now. And so what do we do? Quietly, waiting, softly, trusting, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. Not on yourself. I look in the mirror, I get nervous. <laughs> Not much here. <laughs> Not able to do a whole lot. Can't remember like I once did. Pretty weak. I better lay down every 16 hours or I'm a mess. Keep our eyes fixed on Jesus as we move into the future. Deep confidence, the psalmist issues here. And the Lord's care for us in the unknown days ahead. We don't know what will befall us in God's providence. But we know that he'll be with us and he does all things well. And therefore he says, trust me. That's, what the, that's how he closes. Trust me. Our soul waits for the Lord. We hate waiting, don't we? We hate waiting. I was in, at Wendy's getting a burger the other day. I had to wait an extra five minutes. I don't know what was going on up there. And yeah, I was even like... Okay, it's not that hard. That wasn't even a Big Mac attack. That's the other place, right? <laughs> Waiting. We're not good at that. I'm not. Our soul waits, what, for the Lord? He, He is our hell. He's our shield. That's our protector. Our heart is glad in Him because we trust in His holy name. We hope in you. That's what he's saying. We can trust him for all our tomorrows in your life, as a church, in our church family, as a nation. He's trustworthy. And so I say, who would not trust such a great God as our Lord? We're called to trust him, and therefore everyone praise him. Let's close with a couple lessons, and we'll be done. Number one. Today, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, words of praise should flow from you. They ought, they ought to flow from you. Don't be a no-show. Don't be a no-show. They ought to flow from your mouth. Lord, thank you for this. And then we bless others. Don't be a no-show. Number two, 
Remember all that God has done for you. Remember it. Do whatever you have to to remind yourself. Consciously think back and remember, draw strength from it, and incorporate it into your praise. You know, one thing I, I make a habit of doing, I, I think about my all those that have built into my life in my church experience. And by name, not every day, but pretty often. I think of the pastors that ministered to me when I was a young boy. They were faithful. And God had me under their hearing of the gospel. Pastor Leo Griffin, he's now in heaven. Just a real little Michigan guy. Grew up a farmer. God called him into ministry. Always wore a navy suit with a white hanky. He was a hanky waver. You know, gentle man. Loved my father. Would stop by and talk to my dad, even though my dad hardly ever went to church. A few times in my whole life. Thank you, Lord, for him. I was saved under his ministry. Thank you for Pastor Griffin, that he was faithful. Thank you for, and I, I, I think of the different pastors. I, I name them by name when I'm on that line of thought. And Sunday school teachers, there's one man in our, in our church that had a tr- tremendous impact upon a lot of boys. Wayne Gibbs, Lord, thank you for him. And I pray for his voice. I, I came to understand that recently that his son has cancer. He's my age. And I thank you for him. Pray for, for him and uh, his wife. And teachers and, and those that have built my life. And, and you, as I think about all those that have built in my, my life, deacons and elders and, and you, you, many of you, in many, many ways, ways you wouldn't realize. And I give thanks to the Lord for that. That's remembering. Why? God didn't do that for someone else. He did it for this guy, you know. And I don't want to be an ingrate. I mean, if in fact my mother would be right over top, what do you say for that? Oh, thank you. My mother says that. Just think how that rings with God who gives us everything. And we walk around like, you know, mindless. Like somehow I deserve it. I showed up. You know, they say much of life is showing up, right? Therefore I do No. No. Number three, trust him for all your tomorrows. Keep your eyes fixed on him. Wait patiently. Wait patiently. Keep your eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus, no matter what befalls you. Health-wise, business-wise, family-wise, marriage-wise, life, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And have this image of Peter walking on the water. Remember what he could do when he had his eyes on Jesus? He could do what he couldn't do naturally. He could never walk on water. When he took his eyes off the Lord, down he went. That's us. That's me. That's us as a church. But when he kept his eye on Jesus, even the, the storm was raging. And there are storms in life. We can do what we couldn't do, couldn't do otherwise. And number four and last, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd urge you today, if you've never trusted the Lord Jesus as your Savior, you must call upon. Whosoever should call upon the Lord, name of the Lord, should be saved. Have you done that? It's the most important thing in all of life. Whether you're the littlest of age to the other end, believe upon the Lord and you'll be saved based upon the authority of God's only book. Praise the Lord. So that's why we have a song, right? That's why we sing. 
Wow, we're set free and we rejoice in even our tomorrows. And for us, the best is yet to come and the ultimate tomorrow. And I can't wait. Let's stand and be dismissed. Father.